face to face, hand to hand, film to film. Welcome to the Film to Film podcast. My name is James Shergan. I'm joined here by my good friend Inyaki. Uh, how are you doing, Inyaki? Doing pretty well. How about you, James? Uh, doing all right. Doing all right. So today uh, we are going back to the land of uh, Hong Kong, small place, okay. uh, and doing uh, kind of one of the most classic of their films. Uh, so back to 1967, I think the same year that Dragon Inn came out, and we are going to be talking about the one-armed swordsman. And I promise myself I will not forget the synopsis today. So we are going to bang that one out right now uh, before we talk about our impressions. Uh, so here's the synopsis. A noble swordsman whose arm had been chopped off returns to his former teacher to defend him from a villainous gang of rival swordsmen. How is that? Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, you know, this is very early in kind of the... Um, uh, kung fu genre at, at least the more contemporary version um or at least this version that really uh, dominated the 60s and the 70s um and you had not seen this film before correct no no i have not yeah and so how did you uh how'd you like the one-armed swordsman it's good it's good it, it, it still has that uh closer to the japanese feel than uh than later hong kong films in that uh it, it, it still feels more of a, a personal, like a personal drama. There's still more weight to it. Uh, I, I do feel like uh, later, later Hong Kong films are a lot more about the, the fights and the stunts. Here, it's it's still, you still got that uh, gravitas with what's happening. You got some drama. You got some like difficult dilemmas. Uh, not not to the same level as samurai films, but but still, you know. But similar in a way, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I think you're. I, I agree with just about everything you said there. Um, yeah, I mean, you really can feel the Japanese influence here. And for me, it's like I came into these films uh, coming from uh, more like watching a lot of Champa or the Japanese swordplay films, like the Zatoichi's, uh, the Kurosawa films, and stuff like that. And I think this is like kind of a nice transition uh, from those mm -hmm. films to this because it has a lot of the same appeal. The fights are. Uh, as you said, kind of more spurty and stuff. It's like if you compare it with um, uh, Crippled Avengers, uh, which is mm -hmm. kind of a similar story, at least uh, just if you were to take really a high-level view of like people that get crippled and have to uh, kind of fight at the end. Story is a little different, but it's similar in a way. Uh, but that film is a lot more about the spectacle and the action and has kind of like these more elongated set pieces. Whereas this one, I think if you come in expecting like crazy stunts and stuff like that, you're not exactly going to get it this is more in line with kind of as you said the uh japanese uh japanese flow of the films mm -hmm. um yeah so it sounds like you generally uh enjoyed the film yeah i did i did yeah okay well this film uh gonna cover a bit of background because there's a lot of uh kind of important players here uh, that we have not talked about before uh this is done by the shaw brothers who is the dominant studio of kind of this time period, especially the 60s, definitely the 70s, especially the early 70s. Um, and if you noticed one thing, uh, this film was spoken in Mandarin, uh, mm -hmm. as was customary of the time, which is an unusual choice because in Hong Kong, uh, the dominant language is definitely Cantonese. And the reason being, uh, part, part one of the reasons being, uh, supposedly, people thought at the time 
that uh, Cantonese was too rough of a language to put in films and stuff like that, so they would use Mandarin. Uh, another big factor is uh, the Shaw brothers were from Shanghai, and they basically, during all of the turmoil of kind of the early 20th century, kind of moved around a bunch and ended up in... Um, in Hong Kong and Shanghai, like the rest of mainland China, or like mm -hmm. most of mainland China is Mandarin speaking. Uh, so, I mean, if you were to geographically look at Shanghai, it's in the south, sort of like the equivalent of like North Carolina or something. So it's like in central, south, uh, east coast, but still kind of uh, more dominant, uh, more of a northern bias uh, to it as far as like Mandarin versus Cantonese. Um, mm -hmm. So them, as well as the director Chong Che, who is also from Shanghai, and Jimmy Wang Yu, uh, what, who is the star of this film, also from Shanghai. So all of these people, Mandarin speakers, but just about every Shaw production at this time was Mandarin. Um, and uh, the uh, this is kind of one of the first of the more updated ones. Uh, the previous sort of period pieces Shaw was doing were like Huang Mei. Uh, and so they're more based off of like Chinese opera and stuff like that with like big grand movements, less of like the, uh, well, arm chopping, less of the fighting, less of the body count, that sort of thing. So uh, this, this at the time felt very revolutionary. It was a huge box office success, made a, a million Hong Kong dollars, which, um, which I think was the first of its type to really do that. Um, Jimmy Wang Yu, who is the star of the film, uh, became very associated with being one-armed. Uh, so, you know, he, he, I don't know why exactly they chopped off his right arm here. We can have a conversation about that because he's, he's definitely right-handed. Um, but, uh, he is one-armed in quite a lot of films. He did one-armed boxer, return of the one-armed boxer, a return of the one-armed swordsman, master of the fine guillotine versus the one-armed boxer. And there's like two or three others too. So he really, oh, he really was milking the one-armed thing. He was in one of the Flying Guillotine movies? Yeah, yeah. He's the lead. He, In fact, he directed Master of the Flying Guillotine. Uh, so he's <laughs> like the lead, uh, the hero in that film, uh, the guy that's like walking on walls and stuff. So he directed and starred in that. So, uh, so yeah. yes, he is a, yeah, he's a, um, a very interesting guy. Uh, Bruce Lee actually saw him as his chief rival in Hong Kong, uh, as oh. someone that uh, was kind of his contemporary. Um, but known as kind of being a very um, rough and tumble guy, uh, doesn't have contemporary training. He was actually a swimmer, a lot of connections to the triads, uh, so much so that uh, Jackie Chan actually used him for help in terms of getting out of the contract. So I don't know exactly what he did, if he chopped off a horse's head and put it in a producer's bed. But uh, he's a guy that certainly at the time uh, had uh, certain connections, uh, shall we say. Um, yeah, and then uh, the director, of course, Chong Che, who is one of the most notable uh, Shaw Brothers directors directed something like 75, 80 films, uh, all for the Shaw Brothers within like 15 years, uh, and is known for like a really um, masculine, violent, gory style. So compared to King Hu, who did Dragon In, um, and is known more for kind of more of a balanced gender approach, women in Chang Che films tended uh, to be sidelined a bit. I think this film is actually one of the better ones as far as that goes, but uh, he's not known exactly as a uh, woman's director, shall we say. Um, mm -hmm. And then uh, last person I wanted to mention is Ni Kuang, who wrote the film um, and is uh, who wrote just about every Shaw Brothers film at the time. And this is also very early in his career. Also, interestingly, he appeared in The Seventh Curse as he was the writer of that film. So he had his hand in all kinds of stuff, uh, Hong Kong, uh, during this time period. Um, okay. Um, so, yeah, the uh, premise. Uh, the premise, yeah, fairly simple. I, I think at this time... Uh, like when you talk about Japanese films, what films come to mind immediately when you're thinking of uh, kind of this film and comparing it with those? 
Dude, it's been so long since I've actually watched samurai films that um, I cannot really pinpoint one one of them. Uh, it, it's just more of the feel of it mm. than anything else. The, uh, um, I guess whether we're talking about like Harakiri or um, I don't know, like I mean, you know, the, the films that are about like a single character. It, it, it's a lot more about the uh, personal drama, the personal uh, challenge of like uh, dealing with uh, some sort of event that they need to overcome. And it, it's a lot more about that than the fights. I mean, the fights are are are, are, are the sweet moment. I mean, the the, the fights are, are the the moments that are exciting. Sure, but it's it's it's. The center of the of those films is really the drama, as opposed to like the Hong Kong films where it's you know the the plot is just to get the fights along. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and it's kind of funny because they do reference like something like a two day and a half fight that happened between like the two masters here, but we don't get anything like that. They're all over and more or less pretty fast. It's like you you take a couple um, uh, like swings with your sword at someone and and usually someone hits and move on to the next person. Uh, yeah yeah so sort of like uh, for me at least uh the obvious comparison is something like uh zatoichi uh, just because of like the disability and because of like the oh way yeah, they, yeah yeah they, they shoot the fights and stuff like that but it almost feels like there's less fighting in this film even than uh dragon inn where there's mm-hmm. um a lot of intrigue going on even when there's not fighting um i mean dragon inn actually had quite a bit of fighting uh it, it's just uh it, its pacing was different much different, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I think in, in a way this is a better pace than Dragon Inn. I, I think this is like an easy gateway uh, for yeah. people to get. It's because it's a pretty simple story to follow. Um, I think one thing that happened as the genre kind of moved along too is there would be like these overly complicated storylines and stuff like that. So in that sense, I think this one's ideal in the sense that it's pretty simple and it covers you have one central character dragon in there's lots of characters and characters mm-hmm. posing as other characters and that's part of the fun but it also complicates things yeah um but no i think you make a good point on japanese film i feel like uh, one note that i have at least is like kind of the core um character thing with japanese film samurai films at the time is like the ronin and kind of like choosing like at some point if if you had a master you have to choose between duty and sort of what you want and sort of uh kind of just being torn so a lot of those films do have to deal with like doing mm-hmm. uh with like a certain internal conflict of trying to make the correct decision um right and and yeah this i guess that that's what it was the main thing uh is that internal conflict between uh defending the former master or uh, having you know the life that he was building with um, the farm girl right exactly uh, yeah and another thing i also thought was interesting about this film is and i'm by no means this is not an original thought uh but uh, it, do- it certainly came to mind and i've seen a couple people mention it is you can almost look at this as like uh a superhero film in a way um it just in terms of like an origin story and then he kind of has like this moment where he goes out and he has to like turn to like come to grips with sort of what happened to him and then he sort of comes back in a blazing fit of glory and so in that sense it, it you know it's not unlike a marvel film uh in a weird way well i mean uh, whether we're talking about marvel or we're talking about well, I guess well any any mostly. Super, any superhero but, really. you know like uh, yeah it is a hero story but i mean that's literally from the book 
a hero story. Like there's literally like the the the, the most basic of uh, of of writing is the the path of a hero, right? The conflict that makes the hero, you know, deal with overcoming that conflict, and then using everything that he learned from overcoming that conflict to save the day at the end. That's the arc of a hero. That's like, I mean, as you said it yourself, it, it's definitely not original, and it, it's not because it's not. <laughs> there's, there, there's, there's nothing original from that. The, the, the question is really the, the the story of a hero, or the path of a hero is is really not about the the, the simplicity of, of of that story. It is more about like how you how you uh, execute it. I think this movie. What, so I mean, this movie, just like perhaps a Marvel movie or you know, uh, Super One, Superman in the 1980s, or whatever other story of a hero you want to talk about, you know, Luke Skywalker, whatever. Uh, they, they they all have like a similar path, right? And uh, and I don't know. I mean, I it, it's an inter- <laughs> fair fair enough. I mean, you make a yeah. good point. I mean, it's just uh, I guess superhero films are what is quote unquote in at least for the last decade or so. So right. maybe, maybe that just comes to mind uh, the most immediately. But you're right; it's a common story that has been told uh, again and again. Yeah, it's it's it's. I I I think it's like there is a book about like basic. I forget the name, but I mean I'm pretty sure there's a book like about basic yeah, yeah. Uh, film writing called the Hero's Journey, and that that's. I mean, this is by the book. They, they studied so, the so book. Is, yeah, <laughs> and so is Iron Man, if you will, right? But I mean. In, Right, yeah. I mean, and supposedly, uh, and I mean, this might be where you kind of have that basic of the story, which is very universal, uh, but then you bring in kind of different cultural elements. Uh, like a lot of this, is, I think, is based off of Zhang Hu, uh, which is kind of uh, like a, a term for kind of like these stories that happen. I think a lot of them were printed or something. I don't know. They're kind of like the comic books of them, their time uh, for mm. like, Chinese people. So uh, a lot of these uh, kind of the core basis of them uh kind of is generated from that which i'm sure follows that same sort of hero's journey um uh to some extent yeah it makes sense i mean uh, uh probably to me what i found more most interesting in this movie in comparison to other ones is is uh, the dilemma of leaving the that, that hero super, that hero position right uh, all the main character like, i mean the, this main our main character our hero he um, is a swordsman, and, uh, and the movie basically portrays all swordsmen as, you know, these honorable uh, fighters that will always fight for for the good of others. So they're all heroes. They're all even superheroes, and and he is one of those who is in that moment between should I stay or should I go, and at the ending, and the ending is really he's like. I'm living this life. I'm not. I'm getting out of this. I'm not. I'm not staying in this uh, superhero life or hero life. I'm gonna become a farmer, and and that's a happy ending of it, right? Mm-hmm. He does his last hurrah by saving everyone's life, and then, you know, goes to the horizon as a classic Western would. Yeah. And with with his uh, new girlfriend or whatever. Yeah, lady friend. Yeah, 
<laughs> I mean, in that sense, I mean, I think that conflict of it is one of the things that carries over pretty well in here of like him mm. trying to grapple with both his identity uh, because like he's someone that was not like a master swordsman and then he got crippled. He was like a very promising student and then he lost one of his arms um, and then uh, uh, and, and like trying to describe like figure out if he has like what he wants and like his girlfriend um is also an interesting character just in mm -hmm. the sense that like her backstory and stuff is like established that her dad was a swordsman and he was killed uh kind of in the martial world and so it sort of has this dialogue going back and forth between those two characters uh like like is this like a good world to be in or should we just become farmers and what and so he's mm -hmm. just kind of drawn between like being with her and becoming a farmer versus like kind of the loyalty that he has to his old master. Um, so I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you bring that up. Cause I think that's a, a pretty well handled uh, part of the story and kind of pretty central. Um, I mean, I mean yeah, that's, that's the heart of the story in a way. Yes. Yes, for sure. And I mean, his decision at the end to go off with her and become a farmer. I mean, that's kind of based off that. And that, that's something that, you know, uh, isn't in all martial arts films. In fact, like a lot of them, have like a thinner and thinner story so it's kind of that central uh core or the heart of it is just something that you're not going to get in every one of them yeah th this is one of those movies and, and this is the part where I, I i can imagine this appearing more commonly in you know japanese films or the samurai films right where the, the one thing uh, i mean i don't know from our audience how many how many samurai films uh you know they've watched but once you watch a lot uh, most of the samurai films you watch are actually super critical about the whole samurai system, and it, it's interesting because in the U.S. we we tend to think that oh they 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 always look back at the samurai era as you know something pretty, but if you actually watch the, the samurai films from the sixties and seventies, it's actually very critical of what their system was, and that's why they they applaud so much the ronin because the ronin in a way are the folks who broke out of the system who are outside of the yeah. the samurai world and and of, oftentimes forced not by choice too uh, oftentimes forced. I mean, I, I think of Harakiri perhaps to me one of those top in, the, in that concept because Harakiri is, by the books, criticizing the whole system yeah. uh, till, the, till the very end. And in Hong Kong, uh, most of the Hong Kong uh, fight, uh, films that I've seen, they don't criticize the system, right? It, it's, it's martial arts saves the day. And in, in here, it's martial arts can save the day but also it's a root of the problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and in that sense, it is more interesting, more thoughtful, if you will, um, mm -hmm. than, than other films of kind of the same ilk. Um, another thing I thought was kind of interesting with the writing too, is like, it's not really a classic revenge story. Like in more of the classic revenge, like he would be wronged and his arm would be chopped off by a villain or someone like that. And in a lot of the one-armed films that Wang Yu would do in the future, that's what happened. It's like I watched one recently uh, in preparation for this where he got like someone shoot, shoots him with a poison dart. So it's just like, you know what? I don't have the fucking antidote. So what I'm going to do, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chop off my arm. And it's like a lot more like that. And it's a little more pulpy and stuff like that. But the one of the interesting things about this film is like it's chopped off by like this young girl that's actually interested in him um, and is like his master's kind of spoiled brat student. Uh, well, spoiled brat daughter, I should say. Um, yes. And uh, and she's not the central villain of the film. In fact, she sort of has a little bit of a redemption arc 
to some extent. Uh, but she's not. She, I, I guess not. But she's not seen as like pure evil. Um, like she's not the long-haired devil um, or long-armed devil uh, who is the yeah. actual villain of the film. So um, I thought it was kind of interesting in that sense too, where it's like the uh, the chief villain of the film is not the one that uh, kind of gives him his uh, disability. Yeah, exactly. And what's also interesting on that one, on that is that the long-armed devil is the Sorry, I'm gonna sneeze. Bless you. <coughs> Allergy season, we're, baby. <laughs> we're gonna edit that out. Uh, anyways, the, the long arm, or the long, <clears throat> the long arm devil. From all I got is a person who was wronged by the master. Like he, he's he himself is the master who was wronged by the master. I mean, the master almost like apologizes. Basically, he's like, you know, I know what happened in the past. Don't kill my uh, disciples. Uh, fight me instead, right? But like, you, th- there is an idea. There is a concept here of, of like, there, there, there is like, is one person literally fighting for revenge against some wrong in the past, and then our our, our hero, our main character, instead does not do that. Our main character is, if, if anything, he you know, he fights for to protect the person who helped him grow up. Uh, to become who he is and but not out of hate yeah it's out of duty and sort of honor and stuff like that i would even even take out i mean yeah honor perhaps but i mean i almost feel like it's duty but like it's because i mean the, the the master adopted him to after his dad died so you know it's like if I, I, even though he doesn't say it the master is a father figure mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, makes sense. And and the master throughout is good to him in a way that uh, maybe his fellow students are not, or his daughter yeah. is not. Yeah, I mean, and and it, in terms of that stuff too, I feel like a big play piece that plays into that, uh, both in terms of just the straight text, but a little bit of the subtext too, is the fact that he is a servant's kid. Um, so mm-hmm. a lot of the uh, his colleagues see him as like kind of lower class than they are. Um, because yeah. he's it's that so that's another kind of interesting interplay that happens where sort of like the more uh, snooty kids it's like you kind of get the impression that all of like the disciples or at least the majority of the disciples are kind of like these wealthy kids uh whose like parents kind of through their privilege have, have gotten them these uh these positions both on the good side uh kind of the initial people that are bullying him uh but are uh, disciples under the good master of the golden sword but also like the uh the shitty students uh, of like the smiling yeah. tiger and stuff, who uh, you know, <laughs> who uh, are are about <laughs> are very close to raping a girl uh, before their master pulls them away and pretty much have the DNA yeah. of of some uh, idiot uh, frat bro. Yeah, I, I think uh, the class is sort of demonstrated, and uh, not. And I think it's it's not just the subtext, but the full text. Uh, even when uh, uh, our hero rescues uh, the daughter, the bright daughter who cut his arm off, uh, you know, she tells him that she actually always liked him or loved him or whatever. And he's like, I, I, you know, I don't care. I'm going to go back to to my girlfriend who is a farm girl. And or my girlfriend, she goes like, what, you're going to go back to farm girl? Like there's even that classism right there in the text. Yeah. Um, and same, same with him, right? It's like you're gonna, you were a servant, but you got trained by the best swordsman, and now you're gonna be a farm, a farmer. Like, 
yeah. what are you doing? Like, what's wrong with you? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, so, sort of choosing yeah. the lower class style. I, the, uh, this is sort of related, but sort of unrelated to that scene too. But I like how he thought that his disguise of uh, putting on a mask was <laughs> good enough to prevent her from knowing who it was uh, when it's like, how many one-armed guys are there? I mean, I don't know. It's the ancient China. I, mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised that there were more one-armed people. The question is, are they good fighters and do they have the same voice? Yeah. Well, I, I don't know if you remember the Master of the Flying Guillotine. I, I'm pretty sure if I showed you any of those uh, one-armed boxers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We watched. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the villain of those, like the Tibetan monks, are like, uh, they're just like, I'm blind. I can't see. I'm gonna just like fucking decapitate every single one-armed man I run into. So <laughs> in that film, there are many one-armed men. Uh, exactly. Not many of them uh, survive, but <laughs> just on a crazy ass crusade. Anyways, that that was an aside. Uh, that that film is very fun. Uh, and much more in like the crazy ass kung fu that, compared to this one. Yeah, that that's when we go to the drunken masters kind of level. Actually, crazier than that in reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, anything else that uh, kind of stood out for you on sort of stuff we're talking about? I think we've hit over the themes pretty well, but anything else on on those things? Um. No, I think uh, th- you know that sort of. Takes care of it. I think perhaps the 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 laughing tiger. What was that his name? Smiling tiger. I don't Smiling, know. The smiling yeah. tiger. The smiling tiger. Uh, and you know his fratty kids. Like, it, I it was it was hard to tell whether or not you know that it was almost like comedic relief because they were just so useless. <laughs> Uh, I think it was supposed to be sort of comedic relief. It's a little hard to tell, I agree. Or if they're just trying yeah. to add some pizzazz to the characters. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. Because, I mean, it was like, you know, they're incapable of even, like, taking their job seriously. They're, like, they're told time and time again, it's like, hey, don't try to, you know, fucking rape randos. <laughs> And like your apparently... uncle's, your uncle's gonna get angry, and well, you know what? How he punishes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. Uh, yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty, which is fucked, pathetic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, in in comparison, like the uh, the long long arm devil uh, is a lot more of a serious villain, and I like how they show him throughout, where you just kind of see his backside, and he sort of has like the the very serious looking blades that come out of his back. Like the five, I'm I'm not even sure exactly what to call them, but uh, yeah, I like how he's sort of established as like this big bad, and yeah. Uh, any thoughts on kind of that stuff? Yeah, I mean, I, I like. I, I mean, if we're talking about like fighting style, I like. Um, I enjoy that uh, the our main bad guy. He he has his two his two weapons or like long range weapons. Uh, it's the whip, that long ass whip where he makes people like you know barrel rolls and stuff which is weird <laughs> and uh and i i wrote down javelins the sword lock thing no the things that he throws oh oh gotcha oh the things yeah, on yeah. his back gotcha gotcha yeah yeah because the, the sword locks is really not his primary weapon the sword locks are are just you know the weapons of his disciples yeah and i mean he, he can use them but that's not his primary thing yeah yeah and I guess the other thing that stands out, of course, is that the the the, the 
perhaps like the the secret weapon of the bad guys the big secret is these janky ass sword locks i know <laughs> um but you know it, it's very effective in this in this film at least the, but they only work for the swords of the like those the golden swords or whatever yeah but they're, if, they're meant for that not not for any other sword <laughs> yeah definitely not for a one-armed guy that's for sure yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, had they switched to a secondary sword, maybe you know the the the, the main guy, the the good guys would have survived. Yeah. They all had to use their their fancy long sword. I mean, uh, gold swords. Yeah, but I guess, I mean I guess they were just all trained in the one style and they couldn't couldn't exactly mix it up. But yeah, you'd think in sometime in the massacre of the twenty of them that they would be like, hey, wait a second, why don't we try something a little different here? Um, yeah. Yeah. Or why don't we, you know, you stop, we stop that thing that has no blade. Like, it's just really a piece of metal. Like, why don't we just use, you know, a fucking club? Yeah. Or hand-to-hand, even. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you get hit by a, like, heavy piece of metal. That's true. Get... But yeah, just grab a fucking club. I bet they have clubs in the back and they can, you know. Yeah. Dust just off do the that. old clubs. Yeah um okay well let's let's cycle back a little bit and talk about uh wang yu uh who is our hero here how did you find him he was like kind of one of the first shaw brothers stars um he only spent a little bit of time in the studio uh before kind of flaming out he was a difficult personality shaw brothers also famous for not paying very well um how'd you how'd you like him i thought it was really good it was uh he actually could do the drama well um uh he's his character sometimes was written a little bit erratic. I do have, uh, I did write like a, a paraphrase when, when he, you know, he wakes up missing his arm. Uh, and he goes like, ah, I'm missing an arm. I'm like crippled. Father, I have shamed you. Ah, like he just freaks out. And then, and then looks at the girl and he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to scare you. And it's like, it was just like from a hundred to you know zero, like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, and I mean, that could be the actor, that could be the directing, that could be the writing, but I, it, it made me laugh. It, it, it's almost like the room where it's like I did not hit her. Oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> yeah, L- little um, uh, uh, change in pace there, change in emotional yeah. status. It's like a little bipolar. Yeah. I mean, in his defense, he did get his arm chopped off. Right, which would mean that he would be freaking out for a longer time and then, or, you know, and be like, oh, I'm so sorry, but like, you know, and, you know, instead he goes like a hundred, like, ah, I'm screaming to go like, oh, I'm sorry for how impolite I was and scaring you, ma'am. I just needed a little bit of time to process what happened to me. My apologies. My sincere apologies, in fact. (laughs) <laughs> sorry and, and i know this is a side note but like one, one general thing that i did lo- find hilarious in this movie is that whenever someone was dying they could calmly be like oh i'm dying uh, uh i'm dying and the guy's like oh no i i will i will adopt your son yes son go to him please and let, let me explain to you how like you to take care of my son you do this 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 and this and this and blah 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 yeah now uh, i'm dead yeah, yeah the next part next next person <laughs> yeah. dies is like yeah but, we like literally has a javelin through his stomach yeah and he's like they have swords that lock and you know they have to lock this very specific way so just please go run the 30 miles to warn them and then goes 
dies. Yeah. <laughs> oh, by the way, my dog needs to go for a walk now. So, uh, could you do that too, please? I'm gonna die now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, sorry. I just that was like those like little moments really made me laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I think Wang Yu is pretty good here uh, too. He has decent uh, camera holding presence. Uh, his arm was his right arm was tied behind his back when they shot him from the front and in front of his uh stomach when they shot him from uh behind so i'd imagine it was a little bit of a you know fun shooting time but not not enough so that he never wanted to appear again as a one-armed person um mm -hmm. why do you, yeah i thought it was also kind of funny how they chose the left arm uh, a little confused by that you'd think that the right arm would be more of a uh no like i, I think but, uh I disagree. I think uh, they they chose the right the correct arm to to chop off, because as you said yourself, he was right-handed uh, at the beginning. You know when you see him, he he's always using the right hand. So by chopping the right arm, uh, you double the challenge. You not only you don't only have a one one arm man, but it's a one arm man whose uh, less uh, able hand arm is the one that he's using and that's why when he first like tries to like swing the sword he's he's failing at it but he's, he's failing because the the, the the it's his bad arm it's the left arm so to me right. it made complete sense yeah okay fair enough yeah a, a little bit of a greater handicap i guess for someone like that uh yeah also one film i forgot to mention uh that he also appears one-armed is uh the ultimate crossover Satoichi versus the one-armed swordsman. So they actually oh, wow. did have a uh, crossover episode where they had uh, the two of them together. So, uh, and that's a film I, I I think I watched that film before I'd seen any of his other films. So uh, that okay. one could be a fun one to revisit at some point. Uh, yeah, that sounds exciting. Yeah. Um. All right. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, let's see. What else do we have here? Um. Uh. Seemed like a really uh, fun 55th birthday. You know, I hope my yeah. 55th birthday can be as uh, fun and as grim as this one, where you're just waiting for, you know, people to show up and kill you. Maybe uh, maybe your 55th birthday will be like us waiting around. Nathaniel sent you a couple death letters for, uh, you know, mentioning his name, and we're just waiting for him to show up. <laughs> With his gang. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's got like a, a sword lock of some sort. <laughs> uh it's like the actually uh, weapons, like actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A uh, couple other facts to this. Uh, this film also has two of the most cin like noted uh, fight choreographers in the very early uh, things. Uh, Lau Kar Lung, who would become one of the very famous Shaw directors, not yet uh, famous for 36 Chambers of Shaolin mm. and some other films, and Tong Cha. Um, they are actually, uh, I believe both of them, but I know Lao Kar Long for sure are the, uh, uh, long arm devil's henchmen. So those are the ones like kind of, uh, hanging out outside and like ambushing all of the, uh, golden sword people as they're going to the 55th birthday. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and you're right in the sense that they stand out compared to like the smiling tigers, idiot henchmen. They just seem much more serious and much more competent than the other two. Um, why? Why? So this is one part of the plot. This is where Mike Nathaniel comes out. What? What was the purpose of the smiling tiger and his kids or henchmen? Like, what? What was the purpose of them? Because uh, they were completely useless. 
you know, this film is on the long end, an hour and 50 minutes uh, for these films. And if you did want to make the 90 minute version, that's definitely the part you cut. But I think it, I guess it was to kind of like add sort of like this step in between uh, for Jimmy Wang Yu to kind of have like his, like to show that he's become really good with the uh, like one arm swords. They're kind of like level one, level one bosses, like killing right. the two idiots uh, from Smiling Tiger. Uh, before he mm-hmm. can go on to other stuff, so I, I'm, my guess is that's the kind of the reason that I mean, they're there. Yeah, that, I, that, that, I mean, dramatically speaking, that that makes sense. Just plot wise, it makes it's not necessary. It makes less. Yeah, yeah, it makes less sense in the sense. Uh, I mean, the plot of the bad guy. It's, this is what I'm saying. This is more of an inner Nathaniel thing. It's um, as in the the bad guy. You know, wants these kids to 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 do the to to do the thing when they really never even got close to do it to you know like ambushing the the party yeah yeah true i mean they it, they're able to kill the two uh disciples of the one guy and that's pretty much all they do in the film um mm-hmm. how about uh just kind of the general look of the film and the sets and stuff like that shaw is kind of famous for having these big massive sets they were um a huge landowner uh in Hong Kong at the time, so they they had one, yeah, yeah. How'd you how'd you find just kind of the general look and and the sets of the film? Oh, they were cool. I mean, the the market was uh, sort of a very dynamic area. Um, the the houses um, <clears throat> had the, those traditional uh, circular pathways or circular like gates that were neat. Uh, no, I liked it. I liked yeah. It. Yeah, me too. I mean, I think that's one thing that kind of stands out. Uh, and maybe that's also a little Japanese, too. Japanese had some pretty nice sets, too, like the snow and stuff like that. I think as far as sets oh, yeah. go, it looks pretty good. Uh, and uh, and obviously, they're in Hong Kong, so you're not going to have actual real snow in Hong Kong, which is, I don't know, geographically kind of like New Orleans or something like that. So on, on the southern part of, uh, of China. So what was that? What was that? Like potato shavings or straight up... Uh asbestos probably asbestos <laughs> I, don't, I don't know <laughs> probably something like that you know i don't know if too many people are still alive from this film uh not exactly sure why but could be that asbestos because yeah i think i think asbestos was used to be used for like uh, fake snow until they decided that that's bad and then it was like potato shavings yeah um I, I, home alone i think uh, it's potato shavings and Apparently, it was like this, at the end of the day, it was disgusting. Okay, yeah, that does sound kind of gross. I mean, yeah, I, I, but something tells me these are not potato shavings. I, I kind of think this is asbestos, <laughs> uh, which is you know not that much better than potato shavings if we're if we're being honest there. Actually, I'm a lot worse. <laughs> yeah, it probably smells better. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's one thing that stands out if you compare this film versus like the non-Shaw Brothers ones is like when you, they don't have these sets and stuff to use. Some of their films, especially like the Taiwanese ones, which have a reputation for looking, uh, for being cheaper, they look, um, you know, they look cheaper. They're, they're kind of like, you know, we talked about that one Canadian film, but like, ah, this is a Canadian film, isn't it? Because like they don't have, uh, they don't have uh, the budget to show uh, kind of like, it, it just doesn't look as like expensive as like an American film would. And yeah. so uh, a lot of the Taiwanese films would 
kind of have that look to them too where it's like yeah we just got some guys and we went out to the outskirts in the hills and put on our costumes and we're doing it whereas the shot sets they they had a little bit more professionalism to it it was like a big outfit uh and just kind of shows that uh there's a lot of stuff that goes behind the filmmaking and when chong che eventually did leave shot brothers a lot of his films looked a lot cheaper uh because he didn't have the kind of same infrastructure and same people behind him that were able to make his films look uh like this Mm. um all right well um let's see uh another thing i thought was fun um it's certainly not as jaw-dropping as some of the italian versions but i thought the score at times had a very contemporary Mm -hmm. feel to it um especially at the beginning and the end uh which i kind of enjoyed yeah Yeah, it had like uh it's it it was sort of a mix trying to sound historical not historical but you know your classic like costume drama Asian costume drama from that era, but then you you have like a little bit of a beat with the jump that uh, was like seventies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just a little bit. Yeah, just enough yeah, to it, it, subtle. Yeah, yeah. I, I liked it personally. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's 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 in there. Yeah, it's in my notes as well. Yeah, it's not quite as wild as a Master of the Flying Guillotine, where they just go for a full like, yeah, we're gonna play like a German Krautrock song that came out last year. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, this tries to be more of a period piece. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it feels a little less jarring than that, but uh, I, I do enjoy it. Um, yeah, I, one part, uh, so let's talk a little bit about uh, kind of the fighting and stuff like that. And I think one part, and I listened to, I did some research on this and listened to some podcasts, and probably the most common complaint I hear uh, about this film is that they think the fighting is not that great. And I think a lot of that, personally speaking, comes from expectations uh like i think if you come from this from like more of the chambara the japanese film background i think you're less likely to be disappointed by it but if you come from it after seeing like kind of the later shaw brothers stuff with like crippled avengers or uh or like the more elaborate set pieces or like jackie chan films then yeah this film can be a little dissatisfying because it doesn't have that same sort of spectacle and things that are going on and uh that would come like a decade or two later uh any what are your thoughts on the fights did you like them um were you disappointed by them uh i mean there were fights and fights uh the i would say that the the montage of the disciples getting killed one by one like this is in the middle of the movie uh gets a little bit repetitive because Mm -hmm. the style was always sort of the fighting moves were always the same it was very repetitive it was like no swing swing hit hit swing swing and then the guys with uh, the sword trapper would sort of open their arms guy attacks chuck the sword stab and i mean at first it's, it's kind of an interesting way of doing it but then it, it gets boring because not, not so, more because it's repetitive although that might be the point like plot wise that is the point the yeah. point is they they know all the moves so it is this should be easy uh um, so sort of like why do we need to see that the sword lock works exactly the same way uh, each time, right? But but it, but also it makes it it shows I don't know in a way to me it it works uh, when it came to the fight between the, the smiling tiger and our hero. Actually, I thought that was a very good fight. Uh, there was a lot of weight to it. Uh, it almost felt and and this is the part where you know you you could have a fight with lots of crazy moves. Uh, but if there's no weight to it, then 
it's still boring or not boring. like it's it, it's like watching i mean not boring it, it's it's fun to see all the acrobatics and whatnot but uh movie wise it's it, it has very little weight to it yeah if it doesn't um, mean anything right exactly and the, the fight against uh the smiling tiger actually has uh has a meaning because the meaning is smiling tiger is slowing him down and each second that that fight is going means another of his brothers is being killed and that's a big deal uh so there's a lot of pressure there and, and i like how that's cut yeah. with the scene of each of them dying uh so you know the, the the stakes are high the stakes is not really the stakes is trying to finish this fight as fast as possible but the fight actually it's a japanese style or like a samurai style fight where it's just like slow movements not slow movements but like lots of stirring off and you know quick quick rapid like swings yeah uh uh, so plot wise I actually think the fights are, are quite good uh, for, for the plot uh, they're quite good for what it's trying to do I mean you don't really need to have a, a crazy fight for it to be impactful and in that sense I think this movie does a good job yeah I, I, I completely agree with you I think the fight scenes well they're not extravagant uh, like you would get later on they're good and I think they're fairly, yeah, as you said, impactful in terms of what they're showing. They're well staged. You could tell they put a lot of thought into it, uh, into the way they're filming it. Um, and, and there's stakes. Uh, and, yeah. and, and they have stakes, which uh, sometimes the crazier they are, the less stakes you actually feel. Yeah. Because you're just seeing superhumans. And then one thing that samurai films and westerns do that's really nice that they don't do in all of these films, but they do in some, especially this one, is like, as you said, they draw it out. They make it tense. There's a lot of like staring and facing off and sizing each other up and stuff like that. And I think this film uh, does quite a good job of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sort of uh, like King Hu in Dragon Inn. Um, Chang Che also had kind of. He's from Shanghai, and Shanghai, if you're not familiar, is sort of known as one of the most cosmopolitan uh, uh, Chinese cities. So definitely mm-hmm. kind of like a center of culture and like different times of uh, Chinese opera. So a lot of poses and like stuff like that in this film. And I'd imagine a lot of stuff where they're f- sizing each other up. It's kind of based off of that where people strike certain poses, like with one arm held in the air, which is kind of one of the most iconic images uh, of this film. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so in terms of um, scene highlights, did anything stand out to you? Um, a couple of ones that I had sort of earmarked are opening the arm chopping, um, kind of the conclusion which is really where almost all the fight happens especially if we include mm-hmm. like the smiling tiger and the end fight like that last half an hour is definitely the most uh kind of action fact of it yeah i i enjoyed actually uh, to me it was um uh, sorry it was a fight between uh uh between our hero and uh, and the long arm devil Devil. Uh, I thought that was interesting because you had like three separate styles. You begin with uh, arm trapping, contraption, contraction, contraption, or whatever that they have. Uh, the I mean the the sword trapping thing. Then uh, you go into the whip, and and those whips like they look like they're hurt. And then you go to you also having the javelins or lances or whatever we're calling it. You know the the thing they throw. Um, uh, and so it's very diverse and you know our, our hero gets quite beat up uh, too 
Yeah, especially with the whip. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, in all the previous fights, our hero is, like, you know, untouchable. Right. And we also, I mean, we've been building up to this moment. This guy's the big bad. We also now know why we didn't see his face, because he's the guy at the beginning, too, uh, that, like, killed his father and stuff. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, so, so you like that fight, the concluding fight the most. Yeah, I do. I yeah, do. yeah. I mean, part of it probably is, as as you point out, that like we'd seen the same fight happen over and over. People pull the golden sword. People pull out the sword lock. Sword lock beats the golden swords. It's rock paper scissors, and we know that the rock beats the fucking scissors. Uh, mm-hmm. And so we finally get something different, and he has a few different weapons. So that part is, uh, yeah, I agree. That that one's uh, definitely notable. Um, yeah, I also like uh, the tavern part of that fight too. Oh, yes, I forgot about yeah, yeah. that. Yeah, that one's a fun one. Uh, yeah, we're... Go ahead. No, yeah, the, the tavern part is probably where you get closer to uh, your classic Hong Kong film, or uh, classic, uh, like, Kung Fu film, where you have, um, you know, our lead catching a dagger with his mouth and then kills a guy using chopsticks, you know. Yeah, yeah. And if you know anything about the films that Jimmy Wang Yu would make after this, that he had creative control over, that's the stuff that, you know, he liked to do. So uh, <laughs> you, you get a lot, you can definitely get a lot more of that if you, uh, if people are interested in watching more of his films. Um, yeah. So that one's just fun uh, and very mm-hmm. creative and stuff and a nice setting. Um, yeah. Uh, what about the arm chopping? How do you like the arm chopping that happened? I was surprised. I, I, I thought this was because, I mean, I knew that he was going to get his arm chopped at some moment. They didn't know it was going to be, you know, his uh, uh, stepsister, who obviously had a crush on him. Like, that's not even a question. Like, it was quite obvious. So I didn't know that she was the one who was going to cut off his arm. Uh, yeah, I thought it was going to be like, when, when I'm saying sister, I mean, you know, like, figure out right, 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 all yeah. these characters. I, I thought it was going to be one of his brothers, not the sister. Yeah, or or a villain. You'd think, like, okay, he's going to leave, and then he'll run into someone and chop off his arm or something. Well, I thought one of the brothers was going to be the was going to become the villain. Yeah. Or, or a, a villain was going to be maybe a traitor or working secretly for, you know, yeah. the bad guy. And I, I think if this film comes five years later, that's definitely what they're doing with it rather than this one. But I think it's more interesting this way, personally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, granted, uh, one of the one of the brothers was, uh, you know, very quick to want to quit, like want to like not join the villain, but like when when they get captured by the by the smiling tiger, uh, there one of the guys like let's negotiate, while the <laughs> other dude like draws out the sword and is like I'm gonna I'm gonna fight for honor, death yeah, yeah. before dishonor, and the guy's like uh, tries to literally like jump out. <laughs> yeah, it's like like stabbed in the back yeah that was yeah that, that was a moment uh and perhaps nathaniel's favorite moment of the film uh when you falls right into uh, a boat <laughs> yeah. where he gets immediate uh, urgent care <laughs> little convenient yep. uh but you know th- these are parts that make these films happen so i'm i'm all for it in that sense yeah. um, i like the, the plot to move forward exactly um yeah, uh, well, I think that's most of my notes here. We kind of just ran through most of the stuff. I think we've covered uh, a lot of it. Um, mm-hmm. So 
any last words before we go on to kind of souvenir and uh, who won and rating? Um. <laughs> no, I think uh, I think I'm. I think I touched all on all my notes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a fairly simple film, so it's one that I don't think there's like a ton of complicated things to go over. Um, so, uh, souvenir. Actually, those swords were really pretty. The gold swords. So I'll I'll, I'll keep one of those. Well, sure that there's a there's there's a sword lock that will you know okay lock them. But. Well, I was gonna take the uh, the broken sword, but because you're taking the golden sword, I better fucking take a sword lock. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll meet you in DC, and Yaki. <laughs> think, think they'll let me take that through security? I don't know. <laughs> um, okay, and who won the movie? Uh, I mean, I'd say direction here. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree. I think you could have made this film with a different star than uh, Jimmy Wang Yu, even though he is good in the film. So I'll give it to Chang Che, the director, as well, um, just because. I don't know. This film is like kind of the, it's not the absolute first, but it's like kind of the one big hit that he got early on that really kicked off kind of a big wave of film. So that sounds highly influential and I think it's a good film. Uh, okay. And last of all, rating. Uh, I'll give it an eight. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm actually exactly the same. I'm an eight yeah. too. Okay. So would you say you uh, like this film more than Dragon Inn or about equally? Uh, I think this is uh, Dragon Inn was uh, was a good one, but it was hard. The, the, it had a very slow beginning, uh, and I think this one, in in a sense, this one is probably easier to watch. Okay, so Dragon Inn's for the Criterion crowd, as I pointed yeah. out several times in that one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, well, I, shoot, I forgot, I remembered the synopsis, but I forgot to mention where people can contact us at the beginning, but, uh, you know, uh -huh. I, I, apparently I'm only allowed to remember one of these things at once, uh, so people can email us at zafilmtofilm at gmail.com, or they can tweet at us at zafilmtofilm, uh, thank you everyone for tuning in, and, uh, we will be with you again in a couple weeks, um, Zai Jian. Yeah. Ciao. <laughs> I'm still gonna keep talking. <laughs>